What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. On January 31st, 2012, someone went looking for their friends, a young couple with a seven-month-old son who hadn't been seen for a while. They opened the back door of the house and walked into the first floor, something that the couple's friends would regularly do. Friends and family often just came in to visit without knocking and would find the couple in the living room or possibly upstairs, putting their son down for a nap. This time, though, the house was eerily quiet. The living room was empty, so the friend climbed the stairs and made their way to one of the bedrooms. Inside, on the floor, were the bodies of the couple, both covered in blood. In the mother's arms was the tiny baby, still alive. The police arrived and the small house soon became an active crime scene. A double murder in a small town is bound to be picked up by the media. Televisions would soon broadcast the story across the country and would eventually describe a murder that was carried out for revenge. Revenge for the simple act of unfriending someone on the social media platform Facebook. This detail made the story much more sensational, but it wasn't entirely accurate. No, this murder was carried out due to something far more sinister. This is Monsters. Janelle Potter was born in Pennsylvania on April 27, 1981. She was the second daughter to Marvin, who went by Buddy, and Barbara, two parents who had always dreamed of having daughters to look after and care for. Janelle's older sister, Christy, loved her baby sister dearly, but they never had very similar lives or became overly close growing up. Janelle was born with learning disabilities as well as speech and hearing difficulties, all barriers that caused her to live a difficult life that was very different from the other kids. She was also diagnosed at a young age with type 1 diabetes, a disorder that would cause her to look carefully over her health for the rest of her life. Because of these conditions, her parents needed to keep a close eye on her while she was at the house or away since she required a few types of medications. As a kid, she couldn't manage these things on her own, which is why her parents stepped in to help. None of these were the reason Janelle was an obvious misfit growing up. Janelle lived a difficult life, for sure, and she was different from the other kids. But she had very unique parents that stopped her from living a life similar to that of other children. Even with the medications and disabilities she had, she could have definitely fit in with other kids at her school and become friends with many of them. But as a young girl, Janelle's parents were overly, unusually protective of her all the time. Growing up, she wasn't allowed to go out and see friends, stay up late, or learn to drive when she became old enough. 
Once she became an adult, she also wasn't allowed to drink alcohol or go to parties with her friends. These rules are not necessarily uncommon for strict parents of teenagers, but what was uncommon was that her parents continued these overprotective tendencies up until her 30s. Even in her early 30s, Janelle was kept on an extremely short leash, having her social media accounts monitored by her parents and barely being allowed to spend time alone. At this point, Janelle was constantly under the watch of both parents. Her older sister, Christy, had separated herself from the family after seeing how unnecessarily strict her parents were as she grew up as well. Janelle was the sole daughter left in the house and had all eyes on her. It seems strange to think of any parents restricting their grown children's social lives, but nonetheless, Janelle followed their rules because they were all she'd ever known. She didn't know how to take care of herself or make her own decisions, nor did she know how to go out into the world and make her own friends. Janelle had always relied on her parents, and at this point, she was practically nothing without them. Christy had some issues with how her parents treated Janelle in particular. Since her sister had some health issues, their parents blamed their protectiveness on wanting to keep her safe, but Christy said they were never happy with Janelle, no matter how well she tried to follow along with their rules for her. They would always desperately say they wanted her to be herself, so she would be. Then Janelle would get in trouble for being different and standing out, so they would force her to act in ways that weren't her own. Christy also thought her parents exaggerated Janelle's health issues, something that would only make it harder for her to adapt to new places and friends. Growing up with this, Christy saw how Janelle never adapted to the school they went to or made any friends in their neighborhood. She valued her parents so much that she felt like she had no choice but to follow their ridiculous rules, even when it was ruining their life. Christy felt bad that Janelle had fallen into their trap, but she also knew that if she didn't get out then, when she could, she would have been in the same situation. In 2005, Janelle and her parents moved to Mountain City, Tennessee. Janelle had no friends in her new town and made no effort to go out and meet any. She spent all of her time inside on her computer, which didn't help her social insecurities. Janelle didn't know how to speak to people, and since she only ever spent time with her parents, she would never learn. She also had nothing in common with others her age. She didn't have many interests, nor did she choose to explore any new hobbies in the town after the move. Janelle's time in the new town was very similar to her time back in Pennsylvania, always alone, sheltered, and with no craving to have it any different. Mountain City was a very small town, one where everyone knew each other. Outsiders were already not easily accepted, which forced Janelle to stand out. People knew of her, but no one really knew her, and everyone noticed it. Her mother took on a job at Hewlett-Packard, or HP, the computer hardware company. Her father was a retired Marine who served in Vietnam. There are some reports that Buddy was a CIA operative after leaving the Marines, but there's no confirmation on this available. Janelle's mother, Barbara, even said he was in the CIA. In this new town, social media became Janelle's sole pastime. She never left the house, and she was rarely ever allowed to, so the family home was her only place to spend time. Her accounts were heavily monitored by her parents, even at this point in her 30s, so it's difficult to know if what she posted was really her own choice, but it is weird to say the least. Most of her posts were about love and laughter, but they stood out for being unusual. Janelle didn't post about her life or the fun things she did like other people in town. 
The more menacing side of social media is the ability to follow other people's lives. It's pretty well assumed that while Janelle's posts were either by or for her parents, since they were almost always looking over her shoulder, some of her time on social media was actually for herself. Based on her habits and tendencies, Janelle likely used social media as a crutch for watching over other people from her past and current cities. It's likely that Janelle didn't speak to these people in real life, but did keep an eye out for their posts or life updates on Facebook. Social media can offer a very revealing part of someone's life, especially when they don't know exactly who's looking at it. On the few occasions when Janelle did leave the house, it was to go to the pharmacy nearby. She picked up medications quite often, or at least when her mom was too busy to do it for her. One day, when Janelle had to go to the pharmacy by herself, she was greeted by a clerk who she had spoken to before. This clerk was Tracy Greenwell, and she often saw Janelle or her mother come in for their prescriptions. Tracy might have pitied Janelle, or she might have seen something in her that made her seem like a good friend, but this time, Tracy decided to speak to Janelle a little more than she normally did. They started a friendly conversation about where they lived and how long Janelle had been in town. This conversation was probably the only successful one that Janelle had since she had moved to town. Speaking to Tracy that day turned her into Janelle's only friend. After Tracy became Janelle's new and only friend in Mountain City, Janelle would spend a lot of time at her house when her parents would allow her to, and it was exciting for her to see how other households worked. Tracy had her own space, her own life, and none of it was controlled by someone else. Janelle loved going over and being able to speak to Tracy alone, without her parents in the room listening to them. It felt like a weight was lifted off her shoulders, and she could finally act a little bit more like who she thought she really was. Tracy had friends over often, and she would introduce Janelle, which was unusual for her. Janelle had never had any friends, and now she was being asked to spend time with an entire group of people. Tracy lived a life so different from Janelle's that it was almost impossible to imagine without being there herself. Janelle had no idea it could be like this if she only left her house. Tracy and Janelle ended up spending a lot of time together, and they practically became best friends. They often went rock climbing, hiking, or jogging together in the fresh air. Mountain City was full of outdoor scenery, so Tracy showed Janelle what it was like to spend time outside and away from her desk or computer. Tracy tried to get Janelle to explore their town and spend time expanding on her interests, and sometimes it would work. From then on, Janelle's parents began to ease up on her going to Tracy's house, as long as she told them it would only be the two of them hanging out. Tracy also had a brother, Billy Payne, who was around sometimes when Janelle would stop by the house. Billy was 36, but he was dating a girl more than 10 years younger than him, Billy Jean Hayworth. Billy and Billy Jean hung around Tracy's house together most of the time, but occasionally Billy would hang out there alone. Janelle wasn't allowed to date, but there was a secret desire inside of her for Billy. Maybe it was the desire to do something she wasn't supposed to, or maybe she really liked him, but there was something that attracted her to him. She had never really spoken to him, and he did have a girlfriend, but Janelle felt like they were destined to be together. If she liked him this much, she was sure it must have meant something. Billy was out of reach for Janelle, though. Born in North Carolina in 1975, Billy had a son with a previous girlfriend in Florida before moving to Mountain City. It was there that he met Billy Jean, and the couple had a baby boy named Tyler in 2011. 
Billie Jean was from Tennessee, but had met Billie just after she graduated from school, and it was an instant connection. The couple were an obvious match, and now they were living together in Mountain City, trying to give Tyler the happy childhood he deserved. They would often spend time together going to flea markets or exploring the outdoor beauty of the town. Everyone in their friend group loved Billy and Billie Jean, and they were practically the glue that kept everyone together. The friends also loved Tyler, and taking care of him had become a formality for all of them. His Aunt Tracy often spent nights babysitting him to give her brother a night off so he could enjoy some time alone with his girlfriend. By spending so much time with Tracy, Janelle had practically learned everything about the couple. She saw how they interacted with each other, how they acted around their friends, and how they raised their child. She never really spoke much to them and more watched from a distance, but she took in a lot of details. A lot of outsiders from the group started to pick up hints that Janelle had a burning crush for Billy, but she denied it every time. She wasn't allowed to date, and the last thing she wanted was her parents to find out about him, so she kept it a secret. Janelle never admitted to any of those friends that she had a crush on him. Perhaps she also knew that Billy was interested in Billie Jean and not her, but that's not known for sure. Tracy had a feeling Janelle was suppressing her crush, so to take her mind off Billy, she introduced her to her cousin. Jamie Curd, Tracy's cousin, hit it off with Janelle almost right away. They both spent a lot of time alone, especially inside on their computers, and it gave them something to connect over. They were both the kind of people who didn't really get along well in social settings, which took some pressure off of their relationship and allowed them to be themselves without worrying about being judged. They started to see each other more and more often, and even tried to hang out in private when Janelle's parents wouldn't find out. Janelle ended up introducing her parents to Jamie at one point, but convinced them that he was no more than a friend, which they took as the truth. They would often have him come over to the family home to fix computer problems or show them how to use new programs, but while he was there, he and Janelle would find time to see each other alone. The couple spoke every day, whenever they could, which was when Janelle's parents were out of the house. They could only speak over the phone and could barely text, since her parents monitored her cell phone so closely. It was scary for Janelle to hide something in her life from her parents like this, but she liked Jamie, so it was all one big adrenaline rush for her. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No it finally seemed to Janelle like she was living a normal life. She had friends she could hang out with, a boyfriend, and a real adult life without parent supervision. The more time Janelle spent outside of the house, the more her parents eased up on her being allowed to leave. They were still strict about where she could go and who she could see, but if she told them she was going to Tracy's, they let her go without pressing. Her phone was still heavily monitored, and they kept a keen eye on her social media. This is why, when her Facebook page took a turn for the worse, her protective parents came back in full force. One afternoon, while scrolling across her feed as she usually did, Janelle came across a wave of hate comments. Coming from an anonymous account, someone was cyberbullying her. 
These horrendous comments looked horrible, telling Janelle she was a bad person and even that she was going to be raped. They shook Janelle up pretty badly, as they would anyone. Unsure of what to do, Janelle went back to the two people she had always relied on. She told her mother and father about the comments and showed them the Facebook account. Janelle's mother felt horrible for her daughter, and as she was already overprotective, situations like this really set off her motherly skills. Barbara started to message this person on Facebook and begged them to stop, even threatening to call the police if they continued with the comments. Janelle felt so embarrassed that her new friends would see these comments and think of her as a victim. After trying to get in contact with the anonymous account to convince them to stop, Barbara asked Janelle who the account could have been. Was there anyone bothering her lately, or anyone she had hurt who would want to bully and embarrass her like this? It couldn't have been just a random person, and finding out who it could have been was their only chance at putting a stop to it. Janelle opened up to her mother that there was one person it might have been. She said she had suspicion that it might have been Billie Jean, the girlfriend of Tracy's brother Billy. Janelle told her mother that Billie Jean had always been jealous of her, and she wasn't very good at hiding it. She obviously left out the part about having feelings for Billy herself. Instead, she told her mother that she had never done anything to upset Billie Jean, but she usually looked outright upset when Janelle was around. Janelle said she assumed Billie Jean was worried that Billy would leave her and her infant son to be with Janelle instead, since it seemed like he wanted to be with her. Janelle also said Billy had made it obvious in the past to some of his friends that he wanted to be with Janelle instead, and he told them all about it. Of course, none of that was true. Barbara didn't let this story go quiet. Instead, she took it right to Tracy and Janelle's other friends to get the truth. She wanted to know who it was behind the screen, and Tracy might have had the answers, but Barbara got nothing from Janelle's friends. She only ended up starting a fight amongst the group. Tracy, Janelle, Jamie, Billy, and Billie Jean, who had all been inseparable, had a massive breakup. Billie Jean denied ever bullying Janelle online, and Billy said he never considered leaving his girlfriend or made anyone think he was even considering it. Jamie, however, supported his girlfriend, saying it must have been Billie Jean, because there was no one else that would do such a thing. The friends were split into two groups, with Tracy sitting in the middle of her best friend and her family. Tracy didn't pick a side, but she thought both groups were being dramatic for no reason. Tracy wanted Janelle to apologize to Billie Jean for assuming she was the cyberbully, and she wanted Billy and Billie Jean to realize that Janelle was just shaken and she misdirected her anger. Tracy was outright upset and wanted everyone to get over the issue and come back together, but Janelle wouldn't let it happen. Janelle even went as far as to say she wanted Billy and Billie Jean to just die. Janelle was clearly upset about the threats coming to her Facebook account, but whether it was the thought that someone didn't like her or the idea that someone would hurt her, no one knew. She seemed outraged that Billie Jean would threaten her, but that didn't stop her from arguing with Billie Jean in person over the accusation. This all came to a halt when one day, Janelle found large rocks on her front lawn. The names Billy and Billie Jean were each written across them in large letters. Janelle thought the cyberbullying had transformed into real-life threats, and this time she was fearful. So what did she do? She got her mother involved once again. Barbara immediately called the local police, hysterical about what she had discovered on her own property. 
She frantically explained to the police that the threats toward her daughter were escalating, but they seemed to take no action against it. She told them someone was going to physically harm Janelle, and soon, because the threats were all getting closer to home. The police told Barbara not to worry, but Barbara was past worrying. At this point, Janelle and the rest of the group all unfriended each other on social media, which was the best thing they could think of to officially draw a line in the sand. No one spoke to anyone anymore, and the terms were made. Jamie and his cousin Billy were against each other, each supporting their girlfriends. On January 31, 2012, one of Billy and Billie Jean's friends made their way to their house. They were looking for the couple, who often disappeared from time to time since they had a baby they were looking after. When they didn't respond for some time, one of the friends went through the back door to find them. Only this morning, when their friend walked into the house, there was no one downstairs. They called out, but no one answered. This wasn't really like Billy or Billie Jean, so they made their way to the bedroom, wondering if they were putting Tyler down for a nap. What they found would haunt them for life. Inside the room, there was blood spattered everywhere, across the walls, floor, and ceiling. Billy and Billie Jean were both dead in the home, each found with a gunshot to the face and bruises covering their bodies. Billy also had his throat slashed, and his girlfriend was sitting next to him holding their son, Tyler. Remarkably, Tyler was alive. Police were immediately called to the scene. When police arrived, they confirmed seven-month-old Tyler was unharmed, but had been present for the murder. He was covered in his mother's blood, and based on the scene, he had been there for a while, sitting on his own, after watching his two parents die. After finding no apparent physical evidence inside the house nor outside, investigators needed to decide on a suspect list to begin the case. After speaking to family friends, Janelle quickly made the top of the list. Billy and Billie Jean had no apparent enemies and were in no trouble with anyone who might have been able to cause such harm. They did discover Janelle's claim that Billie Jean was cyberbullying her, and this made investigators aware that there might have been some bad blood for years leading up to the murder. If Billie Jean and Janelle had been on bad terms before this, it was possible Janelle knew more than she was willing to say. With the investigation in full pursuit, Chief Deputy Joe Woodard of the Johnson County Sheriff's Department started interviewing Janelle. Shortly after, Chief Deputy Woodard visited Janelle's home to speak to her parents. He quickly picked up on the unusual family dynamic, noting that Janelle seemed to be under the tight thumb of her parents. He learned more about the accusations toward Billie Jean's cyberbullying behavior, but Janelle and her parents denied knowing anything about the murder of the couple. After speaking with Janelle about her relationship with Tracy's family, the police quickly figured out that she was hiding her relationship with Jamie from her parents, which they were informed about from other sources. If she was capable of hiding this from her parents, what else was she keeping secrets about? Later in the week, the police spoke to Jamie. As Janelle's boyfriend and closest and by now only friend, they thought he might have information about Janelle's possible involvement. Although they had no sure evidence that she was involved, it was currently their only lead. Jamie was asked to take a polygraph and he agreed. While undergoing the test, he was asked about knowing the identity of the killer. Jamie said he didn't know who did it, but his polygraph said otherwise. It identified that his answer was untrue, which gave police the idea he was hiding something. 
These tests are not known to be incredibly accurate or trustworthy, so this evidence couldn't be used against him to prove he was lying, but it did push police to press him further with more questioning. With the pressure now on him, Jamie cracked for a brief moment where he just couldn't hold up his act anymore. He asked the police a strange question that caused them to wonder what his intentions were. Jamie asked them if a man named Chris was at the station, someone from the CIA. The police were confused. Jamie had no reason to believe the CIA was involved in a small-town, one-off murder. And who was Chris specifically? They pressed him further, asking why he assumed a CIA agent would be involved in his questioning. Jamie didn't have a record with police, nor was he the biggest social butterfly, and he was clearly uncomfortable with the pressure of the interview. Then, he broke. Jamie began to tell investigators that he had been contacted by a member of the CIA a man known as Chris. Chris had been messaging him for some time now, telling him over and over again that it was his job to take care of Janelle. Jamie needed to make sure that no matter what happened, Janelle was looked after. When the investigation started and Janelle was listed as a suspect, he took it as his sign to be there for her. He was sure that this was the moment Chris was talking about. Now he wanted to see Chris to ask him more about what was going on. This information just left investigators with more questions. Who was Chris and why was he interested in Jamie? They pressed and pressed until Jamie couldn't keep up an act for any longer. He finally told them that he and Buddy, Janelle's dad, killed Billy and Billie Jean. Only it wasn't their fault. Chris told them to do it and he told them it would be okay in the end. The police were now sure they had found their killer. If Janelle had been bullied by Billie Jean... It wasn't far-fetched to assume her protective father had stepped in, but that still left one question to answer. Who was Chris, and how was he involved in any of this? Authorities raided the Potter home and arrested Buddy. After searching the house, they found an array of weapons. Inside, the police also found photos of the victims. Janelle's mother, Barbara, ripped them to shreds in front of the police, but that didn't stop them from going into the police report as key evidence tying the family to the victims. Once back at the station, the police then began to question Buddy. He told them that his life had felt threatened since the bullying started and the intervention from Janelle's friends didn't seem to help. They were threatening Janelle and he felt responsible for taking care of it to protect his daughter. When the bullying became more severe, he needed to do something to stop it. And this was his only option. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After the house was searched and Buddy was brought in, the police moved on to search Buddy's truck. Inside, they found bags and bags of shredded papers, which were meticulously reconstructed. Broken down inside the bags were threads and threads of emails, all coming from Chris, the CIA agent. The documents showed that Chris began to contact the family around the time that Billy became engaged to Billie Jean. Apparently, Chris saw the bullying going on on Janelle's Facebook page. 
He had come across it and was mortified to see how cruel people could be behind the scenes. And since he was part of the CIA, part of his job was to take care of situations like this. No, that's not what the CIA does. Supposedly, he was worried about our safety, seeing how horrendous the threats were, and wanted to warn the family before something terrible happened to Janelle. Chris also contacted Jamie, Janelle's boyfriend, to warn him about what was going on. Chris wanted all three of them to be able to protect her in case something unpredictable happened, and as the threats progressed, Janelle's family began to trust him more and more. Chris spoke most often to Janelle's mother, Barbara, talking about how important it was to keep Janelle safe and to take care of the cyberbully. Barbara even went as far as to say that Chris had become like a son to her, and seeing how much he cared about Janelle brought them closer over time as they began to talk more and more often. Although they had never met in person or even spoke over the phone, their relation escalated to speaking every single day, about nearly everything in their lives. Chris became a friend to Barbara. The family began to depend on Chris. They relied on him for information going on in Janelle's life and even to find out what more was going on behind their backs. One day, Chris told Barbara and Buddy that he had surveillance footage of Billy and Billie Jean planning to kill Janelle, and he told them it was imminent. They knew for sure now that the threats were coming from exactly who they suspected, but the Facebook comments were not the worst of Billie Jean's plans. Billy and Billie Jean were going to find and attack Janelle soon, unless the family stepped in to do something about it first. Barbara, who was trying to get help from the local authorities, was receiving no assistance at all. After trying to warn them about the danger her daughter was in, she eventually took matters into her own hands and began to use Chris as her main source of information. If the police weren't going to help, she was going to have to deal with it on her own. In one email to Chris, Barbara even told him that they had dealt with enough of the threats from Janelle's friends, and said that they didn't want to kill anyone, but they would do it for her. Barbara was feeling as desperate as ever, and without help from the police, she found no other way to deal with the situation. Chris, being in the CIA, promised Barbara that all four of their names would be cleared by him if they just helped Janelle. Finally, Barbara was convinced. She would have Buddy kill Billy and Billie Jean for the safety of their daughter. So what really happened that day? Based on witness reports and police investigation findings, Buddy and Jamie broke into the couple's house together, one as the killer and one as the lookout. Once Buddy found where Billy and Billie Jean were sitting with their infant son, there was a fight as they tried to escape. Buddy beat them until they couldn't fight back any longer. He then immediately shot them both in the face, but chose to leave Tyler alone. After all, he hadn't caused any harm to Janelle, and Buddy was only doing what was necessary to protect her. Buddy continuously denied any involvement in the murder during most of the interviews, claiming that the police had made up a story to cover the real perpetrator. But during one of his interrogations, he received a phone call from his wife. After listening to her speak for a few minutes, he silently hung up, then he confessed. The strange part is, Barbara told police she didn't believe her husband did it. What did she say on the phone that day then? It was all quite suspicious. Barbara was also extremely angry with police over the length of the interrogation. Buddy took medications and used oxygen at home to assist with his health issues, 
and when police arrested him, they made no note of that, nor cared to bring any medications or oxygens with him to his holding cell. According to Barbara, this lack of support could have cost her husband his life. Overall, the family was very uncooperative with the police. But whether Barbara liked it or not, Buddy was being charged with murder. They had strong enough evidence against him to take him to court, and the future wasn't looking promising for him. He did confess to the murder. The next issue the investigators faced was to find out exactly who this Chris person was. Chris was apparently the guy who convinced the family to kill Billy and Billie Jean in the first place. He also promised them they would be cleared from the case since he had the power of being in the CIA. Barbara and Jamie claimed they only knew his first name, but they were both convinced he was exactly who he said he was. So, let me get this straight. You chose to commit murder off of the suggestion of someone who you only knew their first name? I mean, he claimed he would clear your name. You didn't want to maybe jot down his full name and maybe some contact info before you went off and killed two people? Time keeps going by, but criminals never seem to get any smarter. When the police traced the IP address of the computer sending the emails, surprise, surprise, they were coming from the Potter family computer. So, unless Chris was breaking into the Potter home and using their computer, which wasn't likely, there was something much more sinister going on. To dive deeper into the evidence, police relied on a technique known as forensic linguistics. Forensic linguistics compares formalities of language, like spelling and grammar, to compare an unknown writer to a known source. This is not an overly verified method, but in some cases it can be used where lack of evidence is otherwise collected. It's usually used in addition to other evidence, but never as a sole piece to tip a decision. In this instance, they compared the writing of Chris to the writing types of Janelle, Barbara, and Buddy the three main users of the computer, and what they found was a series of similarities between Janelle and the supposed Chris's letters. Grammar and spelling errors presented in Chris's letters were consistent with the way Janelle often wrote. Since she had some underlying speech and learning disabilities, she wrote in a way that was unique to only herself. Her errors were consistent when she wrote as herself or as Chris, presenting the idea that Janelle created an identity on the computer inside of her own family room. But was it really possible that Janelle was sending messages to her own parents from a made-up person? To the investigators, it seemed so. Based on where the computer was located and who Chris was messaging, police drew the conclusion that Janelle was sending these messages to her family and boyfriend herself hoping to gain vengeance on her previous crush, who turned her down for someone else. Janelle had spent years setting up a fake person who would paint a horrible picture of Billy and Billie Jean to her parents. When it came time to do something about her anger, they were ready to protect her based on what Chris had already told them. Setting him up as an apparent CIA agent only strengthened the ruse and gave her parents the confidence they needed that they would be protected after they took action. If their names would be cleared by someone they could trust, why wouldn't they go to extreme lengths to protect their daughter? Not long after discovering the connection between Chris and the family, police made their way back to the family home to arrest both Janelle and her mother Barbara for orchestrating the plot. It was officially determined that Janelle managed the entire murder of Billy and Billie Jean without ever picking up a weapon herself, and her mother played a crucial role in convincing Buddy to shoot the couple himself. 
Once the case was taken to court, the damning evidence had the courtroom against Janelle in almost no time. There was strong situational evidence suggesting her hate towards Billy and Billie Jean, and her lack of social experience went to show that her obsessive tendencies formed quickly for Billy and continued to grow. She had arranged this plan over many years, and the detail that went into it was truly frightening. Janelle had managed to create fake social media profiles for Chris so her family would be more convinced he was real. She knew how she wanted the murder to be carried out, and she cultivated the relationships in real life to make sure her family would go through with it when the time came. Jamie was also charged for being present at the time of the shootings, but took a plea deal. In exchange for 25 years in prison, he testified against the Potter family. All he needed to do was show that he had spoken to Chris and be a witness for Buddy's involvement. In 2015, the court sentenced Janelle and Barbara Potter each to two life terms in prison for first-degree murder. While Janelle continued to deny her role in the plot, it was clear that she had orchestrated it all from behind the scenes. Her defense lawyers argue that she was incapable of creating such a plan, saying her mental age was only that of an eight- or nine-year-old. These lawyers also blamed the entire murder on Janelle's father. The lawyers argued that Buddy was so overprotective that he took these drastic measures to protect his daughter all on his own. They claimed that he sent the messages and planned the murder himself, although this seemed almost completely unreasonable. Janelle never took responsibility for her actions and to this day still denies any role in the crime. She also denies ever wishing Billy or his family dead, even though sources report that she said those things many times. In 2016, Janelle appealed her verdict. Her request for a new trial was rejected by Senior Judge Don Ash of Murfreesboro after consideration of her involvement. Both her and her mother are still serving their double-life sentences in the Tennessee Prison for Women. They will be eligible for parole in 2072. Marvin Buddy Potter was given two life sentences and is serving his time at the Whiteville Correctional Facility. His parole eligibility is 2132, which means he's going to die in prison. Tyler, Billy and Billie Jean's son, who was only seven months old at the time of their death, is now being raised by his extended family. His family has come forward to say that although Tyler was not physically harmed on that tragic day, he will forever be harmed by the emotional wound of not growing up with his parents. Tyler was loved by Billy and Billie Jean, as well as the rest of his family, and will always be reminded of how treasured he was while they were still alive and with him. There's one more interesting detail about this case, though. During the investigation, the police came across some interesting information while questioning Janelle about the motives behind her actions. What they discovered was that Chris was actually based on a real person, someone Janelle had gone to high school with. Janelle had chosen to name her false savior Chris after Chris Chodden, a boy she could barely even remember anymore. What she did remember of him was that she had a very big crush on him back when they went to school together and he was now a police officer in Delaware. So Janelle created a fake life out of a real person. She crafted a Facebook account out of photos from Chris Chodden's own social media to make the messages from him feel more real. The sad part about this case is that Chris was a victim, too. He was impersonated without any knowledge of how his information was being used. 
Chris was a victim of Janelle's unusual obsessions, which she had a clear pattern of now. Janelle's case is full of tragedy. It's heartbreaking to see someone go to such drastic measures to take out anger on undeserving bystanders. Although the timelines of this case are not overly clear online, all of this did take place over a series of years. Janelle had plotted and planned for many years in advance before finally causing the murder of Billy and Billie Jean. In cases like this, it's always interesting to take a look back into the childhood of the perpetrator. Is it possible that Janelle's overbearing parents were the sole cause of her obsession that led to the murders? Of course, and it's possible there were other factors as well. These things will never be known for sure, but what we do know is that Janelle and her parents are monsters. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.